it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Don't look for me at 48th and 6th. I'm in beautiful Jacksonville, Florida, uh, the WOKV studios. Uh, it is fantastic here, and I did, did not want to miss a radio show, especially in times of consequential as this. Uh, and I'll be here again tomorrow. And then Thursday and Friday, uh, back again, of course, on radio. Not on TV. We're going to do co- uh, uh, end-to-end covering of the Jubilee because the Queen is old. And we're going to cover that. So Fox and Friends won't be on, but you'll see me all over the channel and, of course, One Nation on Saturday and still doing the radio show from 9 to noon. So we have a lot to discuss fresh off Memorial Day. Many of you went to ceremonies. Many of you had a chance, if you were on Long Island, had a chance to see the Blue Angels uh, back again. They do it every year. I think for the last 20 years, they stopped the last two years. By 12 o'clock, it was sold out, and uh, they were just fantastic. So before we go any further, we have a lot to discuss. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He knows and he's obsessed with the fact that gas prices are so high and people are hurting. You can exhort the oil and gas industry to increase supply. You have to, at the same time, accelerate our movement to clean energy. Right. Thanks, Jennifer Granholm. The economy. President Biden desperate to show he's tackling inflation, lack of workers, supply chain, baby formula shortage, while taking none of the blame. We'll examine his plan to blame the Fed for everything and you for everything else. Number two. Are you going to send long-range rocket systems to Ukraine? We're not going to send to Ukraine rocket systems that can strike into Russia. Fantastic. We do not want them to have a chance to hit Russia. Uh, All you have to do is tell Zelensky, don't go into Russia. Make sure you hit them in the Ukraine where they've invaded, and he'll do it. Day 97 of war in Ukraine. And once again, President Biden puts brakes on a much-needed weapon system as Russia continues to lose men and machines but level cities. Signs show the Russian military could be ready to break, but yet Ukraine's suffering, uh, suffering mounts. As an EU effort to get off of all Russian energy hits a roadblock, it turns out those greenies don't want wind and solar. No joke. Number one. I wrote a thing once that I said this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem. And that's what it is. It's, yeah. the, there's, there's so many guns. There's more guns than there are people. It's not a, I don't think it's a gun situation. That is uh, Joe Rogan. He is, it's not whole, all mental health. And I don't think it's all the, you can't play, have the guns blameless, but he is 100 percent right is where we should be focusing. Uvalde mourns and Washington talks gun legislation as an investigation into last Tuesday's school shooting continues. We know one thing for certain. The killer was showing signs of being with his bloodthirsty behavior for years. What legally could have been done. And how do we stop the next one? And that's the case. Two 18 year olds go off uh, off the charts and they kill in Buffalo. And they kill in Texas. What do they have in common? 
both had huge signs that they were mentally unbalanced, that they were sitting there on social media, potting and planning to kill, waiting to turn 18. Those are just the last two. How do they get their guns? Well, they're juveniles. Their problems in their past don't transfer to adulthood. That's one thing. Number two, no logic. This last shooter, Ramos, looks like a killer, acts like a killer, had cats in a plastic bag all dead and laughing about it. Every girl or guy he came in with he freaked him out because of how aggressive he was being. You know his parents had to have picked that up. His grandmother almost paid the ultimate price, got shot in the face, and then he goes... With a bad plan, not even able to drive, drives a truck into a ditch that wasn't his, gets out of a car, loiters, nobody gets him, a cop walks by, misses him evidently, gets into an open door, kills people, cops wait on the outside before they kill him. And they could have been in easier. And I'm the last one to criticize law enforcement, but law enforcement is criticizing law enforcement. You just got to go in. Everybody says it. We said it since 99. You got to go in. Get organized, maybe wait for a guy or two. But evidently, even the Border Patrol, that uh, the BORTEC unit, was for, was told to wait outside. They finally ignored it and went in. We're going to find out more details on this. This guy, Peter Ariando, is the guy who's in charge. He was in charge of it. There's word is he didn't even have a police radio to hear the cries for help. They said, well, since the shooting has stopped, we have a hostage situation or a barricade situation. Obviously, he was wrong. The Valdi School District police chief who authorized the Wrong decision not to immediately confront the active shooter. Now will sit out. He was going to be on the city council. He, even though he won an election, he will not go and get sworn in today. I imagine um, he, if this pans out to the way it is, he might be the greatest guy or the worst guy. I don't know. But nobody can, you can't judge his actions in a way that look positively. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott said it. The lieutenant governors indicated it. We, they were misled. We were misled on Friday. We were told this, this gunman was confronted, remember? The gunman was confronted. They got by the armed guard, and then the big story on the left was even an armed guard can't stop a good guy with a gun, can't stop a bad guy with a gun. And then we turned out that story was just totally made up. It wasn't the fog of war. It was total fiction. So what is the problem with the commonality? Number one, the first thing I would do is armor up these schools. Now, I know we're heading to summer vacation in Florida. They're off in New York around June. I think same thing with New Jersey. I would immediately do some immediate action to make every school, big or small, uh, armored up. And I would say two guards. Uh, uh, Two guards. We have it in my town, and we've had it for a long time. So you don't have to see the weapon, but they have the weapon. And I'm not sure the teachers are armed or not, and maybe they don't either. So we're ready to act in multiple entrances, uh, big schools and, sco- and small schools, and they got surge capabilities in my town. Not the richest town. There's working class. There's upper class. There's everything. It's indi- indicative. If you want federal money for a program, that is it. So it's the number one topic. Um, everything should be on the table, but politics should not be on the table. And right away, President Biden blows it. I mean, what's he saying? The first thing you do is get out of the way. We have a Zoom call going on today between, uh, I believe it's 10 uh, bipartisan committee led by Senator Murphy and Senator Cornyn. And they're trying to see where the commonality is on red flag laws, on uh, maybe moving the age up to 21. Uh, Let's talk about uh, what could be done for background check for minors, some things like that. But as soon as Joe Biden starts speaking, you screw it up and he does it again. Number one, by make, coming up with some story that you uh, that the Second Amendment was not absolute. Listen to this. Cut nine. The Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. You couldn't buy a cannon 
when the Second Amendment was passed. You couldn't go out and purchase a lot of weapons. And those who, not many are saying anymore, but there was a while there where people were saying that, you know, the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots, and what we have to do is have to be able to take on the government when they're wrong. Well, to do that, you need an F-15, you know? You need a Abrams tank. Okay. Number one, they said you couldn't buy a cannon. That's flat out not true, and he knows it. He said it on the campaign trail. He was fact-checked and was told it's wrong. He says there are limits to the Second Amendment. You couldn't buy a cannon when the uh, Second Amendment was passed, the Bill of Rights, in 1791. The meaning of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary for security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed, right? Everything in that statement that the president said about not buying a cannon is wrong. That, according to David Capel of the Washington Post and a research director at the Second Amendment Project of the Independence Institute, quote, there was no federal laws about the type of gun you could own and no state limited to the kind of gun you could own, not to the 1800s. Were there any efforts to pass which of the 19th century, to pass restrictions into carrying concealed weapons. Quote, I think what he's saying is that the Second Amendment was never understood to guarantee everyone the right to own all types of weapons, which I believe is true, said Kermit Roosevelt. But as phrased, it sounds like the Second Amendment isn't limited to ownership, which is not true. So why are you messing things up? Why are you threatening people that are already concerned that you're looking to incrementally take your guns away? Why are you beginning to say, oh, we're going to limit AR-15s, you're going to limit now? He comes up with another statement. About the uh, nine millimeter, excuse me, uh, the nine millimeter gun. When you shoot it, it doesn't just go into your lung where you can get the bullet out. He says, uh, "Well, it explodes inside you, so we shouldn't be selling a nine millimeter." Do you understand that gun advocates? This is exactly what they fear. All right, let's get rid of the IR fifteen, and then what is an assault weapon? Let's expand that ban till all of a sudden it affects the, your lifestyle, where you're outgunned by the enemy, which is any criminal. Gotcha? Understood? Now the president is expanding that paranoia or legitimate worry by saying this yesterday. He says, 9 millimeter handguns appear to suggest that the high-caliber weapons ought to be banned because the president made these remarks. Why should we allow people to have military-style weapons, including pistols and 9 millimeter bullets, that could hold 10 or more rounds? The 9 millimeter is the most popular handgun in, in the United States. The data show that throughout the 2010s, 9 millimeters made up more than 40% of all pistols. So what the president's saying is, let's take away the 9 millimeter. Okay, let's take away the IR-15, the 9 millimeter. Then you've got to raise the age. So if you're a gun right advocate, which most of my audience audience is, and I am, responsible usage. The most responsible people I know are the ones who are advocates for the Second Amendment and guns. They're the ones pushing lockboxes. They're the ones trying to make sure ammo, what type of ammo is being used. They're trying to make sure that training is even done. They even put down the NRA, we found out last week, $126 million for school training of resource officers. So the worst thing that could happen to a pro-gun person is to what happened last week. Not only is it horrific because they're usually parents and they care about humanity, but it makes their gun ownership go into uh, question. Jonathan Turley brought that up. Cut 10. Today he repeated a clearly false statement about the history of the Second Amendment. Many of us have repeatedly said that his statement that you could not own a cannon or other weapons when the Second Amendment was ratified is untrue. Even the Washington Post admitted it's untrue. And yet the president keeps on repeating that as a defense for his call for gun control. He's undermining his own case by repeating what is, ironically, disinformation. 
Yeah, we're going to learn more about the killer, talk about the gun rules, talk about what happened to Uvalde, how to stop the next one, and the copycats that have sprung up across the country that were stopping for P kids as young as 10 years old. So, Colonel Allen West is coming up next. Then Congressman Michael Waltz in the Pacific. You know, the Army Rangers got a lot to say about this, and we're talking, as you heard from the big three, about the Ukraine. So, Allen West is next, big NRA guy as well. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. No member of Congress has been voted out of office for being too pro-gun. Not one. So until the majorities who claim they want tougher background checks and to get assault weapons off the street vote like they mean it, we can expect to hear more calls for thoughts and prayers. And that's it. Because this current version of the Republican Party is being held hostage by a vocal minority obsessed with an absolute right that does not exist. That is uh, Chuck Todd uh, speaking words of wisdom. I am exaggerating. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West joins us right now, the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director, former congressman of Florida, uh, ran for governor of Texas, uh, and former um, uh, board member of the NRA. Colonel, does he speak – the Republicans just have a vocal minority that's dominating? Is that true? No, I don't think it's a vocal minority that's dominating. I think that that is what you see from the progressive socialist left. And furthermore, the uh, Second Amendment is an enumerated individual right, which is part of our Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments of the United States Constitution. And this has been debated back and forth because, of course, the left wants to uh, disarm individuals and render right. them into being subjects, which is exactly what you saw uh, Justin Trudeau announce yesterday that there will be no more buying, selling, uh, transferring, or import of uh, firearms into Canada. This is what they want to see happen. And history, especially in the 20th century, showed us what happens when, first and foremost, you have gun registration, then you have gun confiscation, and then that leads to the fact that we've seen hundreds of millions of people end up losing their lives. And most recently, that happened in Venezuela when Hugo Chavez decided to end private gun ownership. And that's the path that I guess Chuck Todd, uh, Chris Murphy of Connecticut, and others want instead of really dealing with the issue that we see happen in these most recent so, shootings. Yeah, no let one, me just... 
Yeah, yeah, let me just tell you, everybody, what you're talking about with Canada is pretty amazing. What kind of I'm, – I'm not familiar with their governmental structure, but for the prime minister to have this type of power is stunning. He's introducing legislation to impose a national freeze on handgun sales, responding to an increase in homicides. Uh, he's creating a sharp contrast with the gun debate in the U.S. on purpose. Uh, Trudeau announced Monday that he's going to be introducing this uh, to implement the national freeze. He's also going to have a buyback program. Uh, it means it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. And it goes on. And everyone cheered this because they have a they have a rise in shootings too. So you're really concerned about this, but we do not have a president with that type of power. No, we don't have a president of that type of power, but you can expect the uh, mainstream media to start uh, louding that. But let me tell you what we do have a president that just said uh, yesterday – uh, that the nine millimeter uh, round is uh, is not necessary. So, in other words, you know, we're talking about let's let's get rid of these quote unquote uh, semi-automatic rifles, which they have all of a sudden renamed as assault rifle. But anything you use to uh, assault a person with is an assault weapon. Now they're talking about the nine millimeter uh, bullet, that that caliber of round. So, guess what? Most people carry uh, for their own personal defense and concealed carry. It's a nine millimeter pistol. So now you're talking about getting rid of nine millimeter uh, handguns. Yes. So wh- where does this end? And so now we're starting to see the real face of, of what the left wants. And uh, this is not a vocal minority. This is an enumerated right in the Constitution. And these are people, uh, responsible, law-abiding, legal gun owners. And how many shootings did we have over the weekend in Chicago, Detroit, or many of the other urban population centers? We never hear about that whatsoever. And mostly those are illegal guns. Not legal, right. but uh, Colonel. This must be, this must really. I mean, for the, the gun owners, this really hits home because um, number one, the most uh, the people who own guns, members of the NRA, the most responsible people. Period. Because they know mm-hmm. how the lethality of it. They know the lock them in. They know the training is vital. They provide money for schools to have their resource officers uh, trained up. So, what would you do right now to know that this this deranged lunatic in Buffalo and here, this eighteen year old here in Uvalde? What's a, what's a plan for you that you would say that you would like to see happen? Number one, we got to do better with reporting these social media uh, posts that are out there. Number two, we got to do better on following up with these individuals that we know uh, have these issues. Nicholas Cruz, we had 21 call-outs to his home. He was the shooter in Parkland. Uh, the young man in uh, Buffalo was picked up, brought in for mental uh, evaluation. Was so was this guy. Followed up. This guy was killing cats and pulling him in a bag. Yes, and he has six call-outs to his home. So those are the things we have to do, these uh, broken homes that we have. But most importantly, let's start implementing the school marshal program. That's one of the counties here in Texas is going to look at doing that. And let's get veterans. We talk about our veterans. Let's get veterans there to protect our schools. We do a better job protecting sports venues and entertainment venues, the Academy Awards and everything, than we do protecting our kids. And don't you think time matters? Don't you think we got to do this right yeah. away uh, in terms of guarding our schools, at least two resource armed resource officers in the, every big and small school, every preschool yeah. to high school? Yeah, I, I would I would put that number at three. And, and why I say three is because uh, you always want to have two that are on duty if you got one that is, you know, on a break gotcha. or what have you. So I think that's stuff we can do right now. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel West, always great. Thanks so much. My pleasure. God bless. Next, we come back with Congressman Michael Waltz of Florida, House Armed Services Committee, uh, Army Ranger. He talks about what's happening in Ukraine and more.
radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Whether Putin has an offer up or not, and whether Zelensky has an offer up or not, uh, those are up to those two leaders to determine. They've lost well over 100,000 casualties, killed and wounded on both sides. Uh, there's been 7 million refugees, 6 million uh, internally displaced persons, horrific uh, damage to the infrastructure of Ukraine uh, in only 90 days. This is a very, very serious war that's taken place with high consumptions of, of resources on both sides. Uh, so I think uh, a negotiated outcome is, is a logical choice, uh, but both sides have to come to that conclusion on their own. That is uh, General Mark Milley. They have both sides have to do that on their own. The ramifications for us are tremendous. That's why we're putting the money and the weapons in. But I'm just hearing people talk like Scott Mann this morning on Fox and Friends come out and say, I'm concerned that because he's been over there, I'm concerned that the weapons are getting there but not getting to the right people, certainly not quick enough. So our intent is right, but the execution's off because we're not on the ground. Let's, I'm not sure what can be done by that, but Congressman Michael Waltz uh, does, spends a lot of his time uh, in camouflage, still in the National Guard, House Armed Services Committee, a former, uh, uh, a former uh, Army Ranger. Congressman, welcome back. Yeah. Hey, th- hey, thanks, Brian. Uh, first off, your your uh, response to what Mark Milley just said. Well, I wanted, uh, you know, a couple of things there. One, uh, General Milley's correct in the sense that obviously the two belligerents here, you, you know, the leaders of the countries and the governments uh, have to decide what they can accept and what they can't accept in terms of any kind of negotiated solution or, or how, you know, this war moves forward. But I, I think to just say that's up to them as though we're completely hands-off in influencing the outcome, I don't want to say it's intentionally misleading, but that's not the full picture. We are obviously shaping this fight. Uh, we have shaped the conduct of the war with the, with the military aid that we've provided Zelensky up to this point. I think we would have shaped it much more positively uh, for the Ukrainians, if we had provided that aid before, maybe perhaps we could have even deterred Putin if we made that porcupine too tough to swallow. So the, the types of weaponry that we get give, uh, the, the amounts, uh, all really do matter and really do then influence what Zelensky believes he can accomplish. Uh, and to Scott Mann, who's a, who's a good friend, a fellow Green Beret, we serve together, he's absolutely right. And I have a couple of concerns. One, uh, we have our embassy going in. We should have uh, some advisors going in as well uh, to provide oversight of where all of these billions of dollars of arms are going. Are they going to the correct units? Are they getting to the front? What's the expenditure rate? Uh, Brian, you know, after Afghanistan, we provided, if you remember back in the 80s, Stinger missiles back then. They're obviously much older, earlier versions. Uh, and then they kind of we lost them. They they were they proliferated all over the world, and we spent decades uh, around the world trying to kind of scoop them up, buy them back, make sure they don't get into the wrong hands. So, making sure that this these arms are used most efficiently, effectively, and as we intended them to do is something that we have a responsibility to do, and we can do that by having. I'm not talking thousands of boots on the ground, but very small amounts. But you would of put them in country. In the, in, in the Ukrainian headquarters, not on the front lines, I would put them – our embassies in country, our diplomats are back in country. I think it's incumbent on us to have small groups of advisors in their logistics systems, in their depots, in their headquarters. Again, way, 
far from the front lines, but where we can have some visibility. And, oh, by the way, we should be conducting some training. Uh, you know, right now, the Ukrainians are having to send their soldiers out of Ukraine into Poland, Romania, and other places. It would be much more effective and much more efficient if we did that training in Ukraine. But we constantly see this White House scared and jumping and changing policy every time Putin says boo. Uh, and, and, of course, no one wants an escalation. Uh, but there's a lot of middle ground, and there's a things that we could do to help Zelensky win. My biggest fear, as you and I have talked about, is the White House at the end of the day really just wants a tie. Uh, and they're going to give Zelensky just enough that the country isn't overrun. But if this goes to the negotiating table, Brian, uh, and, and Putin's going to lick his wounds over the next few years – and keep gobbling up more and more and more. I think we face the same problem again five years from now, the same level of atrocities. Yeah. Uh, as long as Putin around, he's not going to stop. Absolutely. By the way, Scott Mann said, he goes, uh, the volunteers are telling him that he heard that they said that they're not, they're sending a lot of gear, but it's not getting where it needs to be. And that is a problem. And that, you know, and the big- it, it, that makes it harder when you had $30 billion and you have to fight for that. Yeah. And you lost 15 Republicans this time. All you have to do is find out that it's been stuck in Poland or not getting delivered or not getting to the front lines or getting into Russian That's hands right. and they'll lose That's all right. public sentiment at home. No, that's right. And and to the point on escalation, we have former special forces, volunteers, a lot of the groups that were in Afghanistan, now in Ukraine, saving Americans, saving uh, Ukrainians, helping out. They're already there, Brian. People need to understand that. And Putin is already, uh, through his propaganda machine, telling Russians that they're already there. So if we're getting blamed for it already, then let's get, you know, let's get some small numbers on the ground away from the front line that can really help out with the training, the planning, the logistics. Right. I have a lot more to get to, but it looks like we're not sending these long-distance rockets uh, and this is how we found out uh, with the chopper in the background. Joe Biden's asked this question. Cut 29. Are you going to send long range rocket systems to Ukraine? We're not going to send to Ukraine rocket systems that can strike into Russia. And just like that, we are not are going to do that. And that is in, in your estimation. I saw your tweet. That is very bad news and a very poor decision. Well, he's, that, that's essentially a death sentence for the cities in eastern Ukraine that are literally being pounded into a wasteland with mass civilian casualties by Russian artillery. The only thing that can outrange their, the Russian artillery, uh, which is firing day and night into these cities indiscriminately, uh, are these rocket systems. Uh, and, and fine, put restrictions then on the Ukrainians firing them into Russia. Tell them, do you want these systems? You don't fire them into Russia if that's what he's worried about. But again, you know, the the Kremlin said you better not do this, and the White House said okay. Uh, and, and you know, there there is middle ground. Zelensky and and his military have been begging for these things as they're watching their cities just get bombarded into oblivion, oblivion. And these rocket systems right. could take the Russian artillery out. So listen, uh, I know where you stand. But it's very interesting when people, like for example, the former Russian ambassador under Barack Obama, Michael McFaul, says this. Of course, Zelensky, you can depend on this guy. You tell him, don't send rockets into Russia. You'll jeopardize our aid to you. They will not send them in. They want to stop the next attack. They don't want to necessarily mobilize yeah. the entire Russian population. This is what Michael McFaul said. Cut 31. Yeah. 
they've had a very tortured debate from what I hear from senior administration officials in the Biden administration. Uh, I think there's a way to resolve it, by the way. Uh, you just sign an agreement with President Zelensky. He has a lot of authority, he has a lot of legitimacy. Uh, sign a formal agreement saying we will not use these weapons in Russia. I think that's a better solution than sitting in Washington and trying to, to modulate and calculate exactly what we want the Ukrainians to do on the battlefield. He sounds like you. <laughs> right. And this was Obama's ambassador. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, I, I, and the other thing I'm going to try to find out, Brian, is what did the military recommend? Uh, what did the Pentagon recommend? I know. Is this yet another instance where Biden believes he's the smartest, most knowledgeable guy in the room and is ignoring the advice, uh, the advice of his generals, which we've seen since day one of his presidency, uh, from Afghanistan to aid to Ukraine before the invasion to Taiwan and on down the list. And you, by the way, I really – with Trump especially and during the Bush year too, you would always hear mm-hmm. leaks from the Pentagon not happy with Bush's strategy, not happy that Donald Trump is pulling troops out of Syria, not happy with um, you know maybe some of the aggressive tactics we're using elsewhere or NATO, our policy on NATO, making them pay more and, and maybe not giving the respect that, that the Pentagon's used to giving NATO, whatever it was. That would leak out be in the Washington Post, New York Times. How is it not leaking out from the Pentagon unless they agree with this ridiculous policy? I mean, come on. They're supposed to be the, the adults in the room. But by the way, they are sending, you could, you could probably make head to tail this, an MLRS system. Just They're sending a yep. missile system, not a long-range system. Is that going to be effective? Well, that will be helpful. Uh, it won't be um, as helpful if they have the long-range version. So that's a, that's basically a rocket launch system, uh, and they have shorter-range versions and then longer-range versions. And what it – again, you know, we're trying to figure this out from a comment with a helicopter in the background. Uh, but it sounds like they're not going to send the longer-range version. But again, you know, the, 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 the Russians do not do a lot of things well, as the entire world is seeing. The one thing they have – is mass amounts of artillery with mass amounts of rounds, and they're just going to continue to pound away. These are the systems to take it out and stop it and save these cities. See, just the exact opposite of how you're trained. You're trained to fight soldiers and terrorists. They want to just (laughs) bomb and level cities from afar. They want to just look through some type of periscope and just, like, just lob bombs. I mean, what guts does that take? What skill does that take? Well, Putin made the, the calculation when his when his military fell flat early on. Remember, they were trying to surround Kiev, take cities, uh, and rather than take the cities intact, uh, they're 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 going to continue to compensate for their incompetence by just leveling them. Um, and and these systems that Biden is not sending to stop it. All right, a uh, couple of things. So I, this is the first time I remember the New York Times like cheerleading uh, for for the administration when it comes to military action. I mean, they're actually always looking for the glass half full for Ukraine. But I also noticed this when Russia keeps on taking out of town, as indiscriminate as it is and as bad morale is, and they are taking casualties over thirty thousand. They are still making progress. And this is one report today in Axios. Russia is advancing on the eastern Ukraine front lines, giving its assault on the country a fresh jolt of momentum. As an outgunned Ukraine pleads for more help from the West, quote, the Ukrainian resistance has made the fight a long slog for the forces, for Russian forces. Moscow is inching closer to encircling Ukraine's biggest strongholds in the Donbass region while fighting on territory contiguous to Russia with easier supply lines. Would you challenge any of those statements? 
No, I think I think that's uh, absolutely correct. They're consolidating uh, their hold on the Black Sea, uh, particularly around Mariupol, and they're just grinding away uh, in 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 eastern Ukraine, which, by the way, is the most industrialized with with mining, manufacturing, steel plants, and others. That's critical to Ukraine's economy. Uh, that that's why Putin wants it. Uh, that plus access to the Black Sea. Uh, he declares victory. He goes in the negotiating table, and he's taken yet another chunk of uh, right. of Ukraine, and he licks his wounds to come at it again in a few years. So a couple other things I hear on the Ukrainian side, the, the morale is so bad, they, these two officers were caught uh, on, on intercepts uh, talking about how Putin has screwed everything up, how incompetent everybody is around him, how this yep. war is run horribly, and the whole thing is falling apart. Uh, also, the story in the Daily Mail that Russia's army could collapse amid huge losses of more than 30,000 troops. They go into great detail on it. I, I'm getting opinion. I'm not on the ground. I'm not seeing things. I don't have Americans coming back off the battlefield telling me things. So I feel hostage to these reports. You get intelligence yeah. reports. Can you tell me where you see the truth? Well, this is where the intelligence is, is so difficult and so murky, Brian. Uh, you know, we, we are great at, at finding and pointing out tanks, planes, and ships and understanding where they are and where they're advancing and seeing those things. What is far more difficult, and our intelligence community has varied opinions on this, is morale, training, leadership, you know, those intangibles. Uh, we've also seen credible reports coming from British intelligence uh, that there have been a series of localized, um, you know, kind of mutinies uh, from mid-level officers. So uh, it's, it, it could collapse tomorrow and surprise everyone, uh, or they could continue to grind on out of fear of, the, you know, the dictatorship that the Putin regime is. Very difficult to tell. And, you know, obviously, without getting into details of the intelligence, there's varied opinion on those much more intangible things like like leadership and morale and and, uh, and logistics. Right. Um, and as I'm seeing one of the stories today on Politico that Latvia says, Russia must lose. Russia has to lose because these are the countries on the front line. I understand we're distracted. We have a lot of things going on, but we should pay attention to this because in four years, when they go for parts of Georgia, go for more of the Ukraine, start threatening yeah. a small country, and there's a sentiment, why do we care about Latvia? Why do we care about yeah. Lithuania? You could just hear this happening. And this is stopping the next problem 10, 15 years down the line. Can That's we possibly right. get ahead of this? These dictatorships will continue to push and push and push until they're met with steel, uh, as long as they're allowed. And we have a situation now where the Ukrainian people are willing to do the fighting and dying to stop this slippery slope. All they're asking for is for our support. And that does not – it's right. not an either-or, uh, Brian. It, it's not either our border or uh, help Ukraine either you know, deal with just this ridiculous formula uh, shortage or that this administration's got to be able to do both. We are the leader of the free world. We need to behave uh, that way, and then we also need to take care of our folks here at home. Uh, and, <laughs> but I, I agree with you. We will have a far higher cost to pay if we let a dictatorship continue – if we continue to appease them and let them continue to win. Right. And the next country will be a NATO ally that we are treaty obligated to then we do have to get U.S. troops involved. And that's what I'm trying to avoid. And we're seeing an opportunity to cut Russia down to the size they belong, which is diminished. Right. A dying population.
who is corrupt to the core, with a leader that is truly sick, with an army that's ready to collapse. They will not be in this place again. Thanks so much, yeah. Congressman. I know you, I, I'm, you're all over this. You're leading the charge. But I, I just did want to give you, especially I'm here in Thank Jacksonville, you, a, plan to speak, yeah. a chance to speak up. Yeah, no thanks. And, and I'm heading out now uh, to our Pacific Command uh, to get the full rundown and briefings on Taiwan, China, who fully, by all intelligence accounts, intend to take Taiwan uh, within the next five to seven years. So we, we need to wake up as a country uh, to what's going on in this march of authoritarianism. Absolutely. And then hopefully you'll come back on and talk about it. Congressman Michael Waltz, Absolutely. thank you. Thank you, brother. Never stops. one 408 Your first time to talk. You'll be next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I wrote this thing once that I said this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem. And that's what it is. It's, there's, there's so many guns. There's more guns than there are people. It's not a, I don't think it's a gun situation. And I don't think you can change the fact that there's... And I don't think it's wise to take the guns away from the people and leave all the power to the government. We see how they are even with an armed populace. They still have a tendency towards totalitarianism. And the more increased power and control you have over people, the easier it is for them to do what they do. And there's a natural inclination when you are a person in power to try to hold more power and acquire more power. And when you are a gun person and you hear about gun legislation and gun control, you're taking it back. And you were told, don't think it's incrementalism. We're just addressing this problem. And then out comes the president talking about the 9mm gun bearing the AR-15. And look at Canada. One, two, three. Paranoia confirmed or is reality underlined? I'm Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Keep it here. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, headquartered at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. My home is uh, Long Island, right in the middle. I'll be right in the Nassau-Suffolk border. I don't want you to know my exact address because some of you don't like me. Uh, number two, I'm on the road today, but I do not want to miss the show. I'm in a great uh, WOKB Jacksonville affiliate uh, here in beautiful northern Florida. And uh, I know it's been great there. I think it's in the 90s there. It's in the 80s here. But I don't want to miss a beat. We're going to be talking to Senator Marco Rubio, who's looking to get six more years as a senator. Man, I, even if you're a Democrat, you have to say he's as productive as anybody, as impactful as anyone uh, in the Senate. The guy's always doing policy, um, not worry about running for the next office. And Tom Kirsting will be with us. You know, the doctor, the school psychologist. I want to get his take on what he thinks happening right now as we try to digest what has taken place one week ago today. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He knows and he's obsessed with the fact that gas prices are so high and people are hurting. You can exhort the oil and gas industry to increase supply. You have to, at the same time, accelerate our movement to clean energy. 
There she goes again. The economy. President Biden is desperate to show he's tackling inflation, lack of worker supply chain, baby formula, while taking none of the blame, even saying inflation is really on the Fed. We'll examine his plan. Number two. Are you going to send long-range rocket systems to Ukraine? We're not going to send to Ukraine rocket systems that can strike into Russia. Really? Thanks. Day 97 of a war in Ukraine, and once again, President Biden putting the brakes on much-needed weaponry as Russia continues to lose men and machines but level Ukrainian cities. Signs the Russian military could be ready to break, but yet Ukraine's suffering mounts. An EU's effort to cut off Russian energy falls short. Make progress, but falls short. I'll explain. Number one. I wrote this thing once that I said this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem, and that's what it is. It's, yeah. the, there's there's so many guns. There's more guns than there are people. It's not a. I don't think it's a gun situation. And that is uh, Joe Rogan. Oftentimes uh, makes the most sense. Uh, just speaks like the common man because he doesn't care about politics, which is certainly a relief. Uvalde mourns in Washington talks gun legislation as an investigation into last Tuesday's school shooting continues. We know one thing for certain: this killer showed signs of being a bug, bloodthirsty animal for years. What legally could we have done to somebody under 18? Let's bring in Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, uh, running for re-election, trying to get six more years. We'll know in in, uh, in November. Uh, Senator, welcome back. Thanks for doing the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. S- Senator, what's your reaction to what's going to be happening? Senator Cornyn was told by Mitch McConnell, sit down with Senator Murphy and see if we can come up with something. What do, What could you sign off on? Well, I think the first thing is we have to understand what it is we're trying to solve. And I think what we're trying to solve here repeatedly now, and it's not always the case, but almost entirely the case. It was true in Parkland. It was true in Texas. It was true in Buffalo a week before that, is you have some marginalized, uh, you know, isolated young man who feels like he's been wronged by society. Um, They start making threats. They become obsessed with guns. Uh, They start showing signs that this is the direction that they're headed. They, they, they feel like they've, they've been violated and so forth, and then they take action. And so the key is, can we identify people that are doing this, that are heading in this direction, and intervene before they take that final step? These are not people that wake up one morning after a completely normal life, snap, and go and shoot up a place. These are people that are showing you the signs, and, and now the pathology is well established. So the question is, do we have a system in place to identify them, and then do we have the tools to intervene? And that's why since 2018, I've been working on trying to do something about it. You know, I love, you hear all the time, oh, they won't do anything about it. We've tried to do something about it for, since 2018. The first is the threat assessment system. The TAPS bill has also been incorporated in something called the Eagles Act. And it's using the Secret Services uh, Threat Identification you know, Center to help apply that so that school districts and local sheriffs and police departments and local communities can use that to identify people through a variety of different means that are headed in this direction. And then the second is, can you intervene? Can you get involved in, before they take action? Where in Florida, you know, we have that red flag law where you have law enforcement can go to court and get a temporary order to keep them. Uh, because once, you know, the, the, the fundamental truth here is these people are passing background checks because they've never committed a crime before. Uh, by the time that when they do commit a crime, it's these horrific acts. So, to me, that's the most effective way. Identify them and stop them before they act. Can can is there money in the budget for these smaller schools in these, um, you know, the financially strapped districts? Yeah. So the third point is right. In addition to identifying it, in addition to having the tools to intervene, the third is: can we make schools a place where you can't just walk in and shoot up a place? 
and, and there is money. There has been money since 2018. We've been putting that money in there to utilize. And that's why that clearinghouse that exists and we tried to put into statute so it becomes permanent. Chuck Schumer blocked it. But that's an idea that, that a Parkland father came up with and has been working hard at. And it is not just the money part of it, but it's also understanding the best way to spend that money. What are the things that work? What are the best practices? It's a clearinghouse that goes through these best practices and is constantly being updated so that school districts have available to them information about what the best practices are so they're not wasting money on things that don't work. A couple of things. Uh, what did you guys change after Parkland? Well, in Florida, a couple of things. Number one is the school hardening. There was money put towards this, and the clearinghouse has been very helpful because the school district goes out, and you're going to have 100 vendors come and say, oh, we've got the best thing in mind. You have to understand what has been proven to work. What are the best practices? What is the state of the art so you're not wasting your money? The other is the state-level red flag. So what happens is the police department can now say, okay, we're looking at this guy. He's putting these threats up. Uh, If he tries to go buy a gun, we want to make sure the background check has a red flag on it. If he has guns, we want to be able to remove them from him. So he doesn't, in many cases, kill themselves, not to mention other people. And and there's due process, right? You have to go in front of a court. It's like a restraining order. You have to offer these. I think it's best at the state level. I don't believe a federal law would be a good idea because you have to go through federal court and so forth. And there's penalties, by the way, for false claims. This is not the kind of thing people can go around accusing, you know, an ex-boyfriend or an ex-husband of in order to get back at them because then there's penalties for doing that. That's why law enforcement has to step forward and do it. And you get due process. You get to go before a court and and it's not forever. It's it's temporary. It's it's until that person, you know, has, you know, either that or law enforcement needs to be coming back. But it gives us a chance to have these people adjudicated as mentally deficient as that's what they are. Right now, you know, these people are going in the wrong direction and there's nothing happening until it's too late. Buffalo shooter sits down with uh, state cops for two and a half hours and they end up letting him go. Uh, But, you know, it's noted. But when he turns 18, his record's clean. He walks into that gun shop. He buys a gun and the guy says, yeah, I did a background check. I I feel terrible. The gun shop owner does not want to send sell a gun to a killer. So they're they're in on this. They're not looking to make a few extra dollars by sending it to uh, the next gangster. So I understand that. And then you have this other guy buying a ton of ammo who online at 17 is holding up dead cats in a plastic bag. Most people that know him are afraid of him. They all knew that he was capable of, let alone his parents. But when they turn 18, Senator, what do we do with a guy with a clean record? Yeah, and that's why it's so important that all this information be fed into a threat assessment process. You know, what people don't realize is the way we, the way the Secret Service protects its protectees, including the president, is they are aware of people out there that fit the profile of a potential presidential assassin. They know who these people are, and so and they know where you live. So if you're going to take a trip to that city on that day with the president, they know where that person is on that day. Like, they already know ahead of time, these are the people that fit the profile of someone that would take a shot at the president. And, um, and that's what the threat assessment does. We know it works. That has to be applied, obviously, at the local level. And, and that involves multiple people feeding into the threat assessment because a bunch of people are going to see those threats. The school district, the local law enforcement, family and friends, social media companies, uh, hospitals and other juvenile justice system. But none of that right now in many places is being combined. So you don't get a full picture of that person. And when they turn 18 or 19 or whatever, they walk into a store and the only thing the criminal background check is going to tell you is whether that person has either been adjudicated as mentally ill or whether that person's committed a crime before and, and therefore isn't eligible to buy a gun. In many cases, they've done a lot of things that are worrisome, but they haven't violated the law. 
So you've got to add new information to that, and that's why this is a valuable thing. Look, people are worried that that means it's going to be used to take people's guns. It's been used in Florida now over 3,000 times. There really is very if any instances of it ever being used in a wrong way, and it probably has prevented some, some tragedies from occurring here because you're able to get ahead of it. You've got to get ahead of these things. It's almost too late by the time they go out and try to buy a gun. Uh, absolutely. Talking to Senator Marco Rubio. And by the way, that, that was with the Republican governor and legislature, right, Senator? That's right. That's yeah, right. you guys passed all that. I got I got a, a couple other things. It's a little off topic, but I know you you were directly involved with Venezuela, not recognizing Maduro, the evil character, socialist, communist that he is, and how he put a deal with the devil with Vladimir Putin, the Cuban president, as well as China, uh, and did the best you could tend to, uh, to recognize uh, the... Uh, the leader, uh, a different leader. Um, and, and having said that, now we have this this administration meeting with Maduro about working out something where we buy oil from them. Is that even allowed? Didn't our government ask other uh, other of uh, all our allies not to recognize Maduro and break off relations? Now we have emergency meetings and asking them for favors. Yeah, and, and it's the oil is the excuse. The truth of the matter is Venezuela has no oil to send us. They have no productive capacity. 80%, 90% of their oil goes to China to pay off the debt they owe, and the other 10% automatically goes to Cuba. So it doesn't – they don't have any oil to send. But what happens is you have a bunch of people in this administration that, that want to get closer to Maduro, that want to cut a deal. So oil is the excuse. But the practical impact of it isn't just immoral. It is that it demoralizes, and in many ways – strikes almost a fatal blow to the credibility of the opposition in Venezuela. So we have a policy of recognizing the interim government, the legitimate right. government, but we're, yeah, but we're undermining them by doing these deals. And it actually strengthens Maduro internally. You know, their excuse is always going to go to the negotiating table. He'll agree to go to any negotiating table. He's used negotiations in the past. He, ma- he manipulates them, and it never results in anything, and he'll do it again. Day 97 of the war in Ukraine. Here's what Joe Biden said yesterday on the request for a weapon system that would allow us to allow Ukraine to take out the artillery fire that's leveling cities from Russia. Cut 29. Are you going to send long-range rocket systems to Ukraine? We're not going to send to Ukraine rocket systems that can strike into Russia. Why wouldn't he do that? Does he not trust Zelensky to not shoot him into Moscow? By the way, who was invaded? So well, uh, yeah, do, no, no, can you explain yeah. this? Well, look, I think there is a legitimate concern about this thing expanding or becoming, you know, if, if these are deep strikes into Russia. But that's, there's a difference between that, right, which is an offensive attack against Russia and a defensive action. So if you are launching weapons against Ukrainian cities from Russian territory, you have a right to defend yourself against that weapon system by eliminating it. That's different from saying we're going to go into Russia and we're going to go deep into Russia, which is not the weapon systems they're asking for, and and try to take Russian territory away from them. But if they are launching from areas inside of Russia against Ukraine, the only way to defend yourself against that system is to take it out. And you can't allow the fact that they're standoff weapons that are in the territory of another country to, to keep you from doing it. So. You know, I, I think the biggest problem we have here is that the U.S.'s role and what our goal and what our plan is for Ukraine is not well thought out. And so all these decisions about what systems to send and what to provide has to be based on a strategy, which this administration has not outlined yet. And that's been my – and yet they're going to – you know, they're going to keep coming back for more money. We can't keep giving money to, towards something that doesn't have a planned, an end game, a, a goal. 
So what is your, wh- who would you go to to, be, uh, to impress you with a plan? Because we know well, the military has also- been undermined by the White House every, every conflict uh, dating to Afghanistan. Yeah, so I think the key is it has to come from the president, the commander-in-chief. The White House has to outline a plan. This is what our goal is in Ukraine. We want X, Y, and Z. And then the military has to devise an actual strategic and tactical plan to achieve it. But but the military comes up with tactical you know, things or plans to accomplish a goal. But the goal, the ultimate, what is America's role here and, and what is it that we hope this looks like when it's over, that has to come from the White House. I don't think the president has clearly articulated that mm-hmm. yet, and, and I think that that is only getting worse as this thing evolves into something different now. Congresswoman Val Demings wants your seat, and she's calling you out for being a member of the NRA. Uh, I sound she's trying to take a page from Beto O'Rourke and challenge uh, what he did to uh, challenge Governor Abbott. Uh, do you think you're vulnerable in that way? I think that gun people, gun owners in, in the state of Florida legal gun owners who are seeing crime surge across the country uh, have a right to protect themselves from criminals that are going to be armed. I don't think that we have to go after the rights of, uh, or, or impede the rights of law-abiding citizens in order to deal with what we have here, which is I described. These are disconnected, disenchanted, deeply disturbed young men who we should be intervening and getting in the way of. And it's, not, only is it, not only is it the right thing to do from a constitutional perspective, it's more effective than what they're outlining. It's more effective than the kinds of things she's calling for. But she's going to be for every radical left-of-center position. It doesn't matter whether it works or not. Understand that almost every idea they're pushing forward, every one of the things they say I'm against and they're for, none of them would have stopped this from happening. Talk about background checks. There are background checks, and they're passing them. They, they wouldn't stop this. They may be in favor of background checks, but that doesn't mean it has anything to do with the shooting. Uh, likewise, when they talk about the kinds of weapons, there are plenty of weapons that would be legal if we pass the laws they want that are just as powerful, fire just as fast, or just as deadly, or just as destructive, that they would have been able to go in and buy. So what I'm interested in is preventing these specific things from happening again, not going after the rights of law-abiding citizens who haven't done anything wrong. Senator Marco Rubio, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Senator Marco Rubio, he spends a lot of his time doing the work uh, of a senator. Even if you don't agree with his positions, man, his work ethic's incredible. He's a part of almost every major issue and willing to talk about it. one 408 7669 We come back, I'll take your calls. Uh, we're going to have a busy hour. Don't move. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. one 408 That's the number that David called from WHIO. Hey, David, you're on. How are you doing, sir? Good. What's Good on your mind? Well, I just wanted to make a couple statements. I think this is a societal issue with these children shooting up schools. Yep. When I was a kid, this never happened. Never. Where did society go wrong? I think there needs to be a study done to find out, you know, this is supposed to be a kinder, gentler society now. If you listen to all the liberals, uh, what has happened? Um, You know, why are these kids, where have we failed these children and put them in a position where they want to do these kind of horrific things? I'll tell you one thing. One thing is pretty clear. The parents uh, are not reining in these kids. Number one, they're the first and foremost, the first blockers. Those people all failed us. And then these kids and these kids, some of these kids, I mean, you look at the, the profile on this young man. 
This guy was scaring everybody he came in contact with. He dressed it like a criminal. He begged his sister to get guns. He told everyone in September he was going to shoot up a school. They thought it was the high school. They didn't think he was going to aim for. Uh, they didn't think he was going to aim for a elementary school. He gets his license. Doesn't even have his driver's license. Doesn't know how to drive a car, but he's able to get, go get a gun. So it's just a, it's just amazing uh, all this stuff. No one jumped in front and said this guy could be a killer. You heard about Senator Marco Rubio said there's technology out there. Do you can assess people young that could possibly go this direction? We got to start doing this, but not just with the affluent schools and societies, but the whole country, and start limiting it because I can't. We can't raise everybody's family, but we got to protect immediately. Protect the schools. That's got to be done right away. I know we're going into summer. But start arming them up now. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. She told me that she assumed the police just weren't there yet. But then afterwards, she heard the grown-ups say that the police were there, but waiting outside. Um... And that's the first time that she really started crying in the interview. She'd been pretty stoic up until then. Um, but that's when she started crying, saying she just didn't understand why like, they didn't come in and, and get her. Yeah, and that was uh, that was one of the producers at another network talking about the interview with the child. You don't really know if you should put an 8-year-old on, even though if they're articulate. They think they – and you want their point of view, but I'm not sure it's in their best interest. But then you find out these kids in their survival instinct, putting blood on them. They, they were shot. They were pretended they were dead. They kept calling 911, took the phone off of the, uh, sadly, the, one of the teachers that had been shot dead. Can you imagine that? And calling 911 repeatedly. We don't have all the intercepts, but believe me, we will eventually get them. And still was their best assessment to stand on the outside. But nobody thinks that was the right thing to do. I don't want to get to the police element of it. Uh, but I do want to talk about I, I do want to talk about the school psychological uh, part of it. Let's bring in uh, Dr. Tom Kirsting. You know, uh, Dr. Tom always comes on school psychologist, uh, best-selling author, has a great perspective on this. Is it just me, uh, Dr. Kirsting, or things seem to be getting worse? Well, I mean, it, it, you know, certainly when you look at the statistics of all these school shootings, um, it's absolutely getting worse. However. You know, I was on a different show last week, and you know, one thing I really wanted to reiterate to parents is that you know we aren't seeing this stuff constantly in the news and so forth and on social media. But the truth is that statistically speaking, and I know it's hard for people to hear this, um, it, it is safe for, for our children to go to school. Now, we need to really convey that message to our children because you know, one of the issues is that you know, we have so much anxiety and so forth nowadays. It's an epidemic among kids. And you know, yes, if our kids are a little bit older, we can talk to them about these issues. But if we're younger, we want to really ascertain and make sure that our kids know that, that it is safe to go to school and trust that the schools are, are following the proper protocols. And that trust is lost with that kid uh, for eight and yeah, ten year olds to be targeted and the call for help. And then we find out the help was on the outside for 47 minutes or maybe even longer. It just it's mind boggling to think that was thought to be the correct decision. But uh, what what would you do with uh, we're talking about all these different technologies to identify the, that uh, that bloodthirsty kid in that high school, the 17-year-old who becomes an 18-year-old that we saw two times in the last three weeks go on a shooting spree. I mean, what do you do? How do you, uh, when you had this job, 
how do you assess who's what kid will be a potential killer and what kid is solemn, what kid just likes to wear black, what kid just has a broken family? Yeah, you know, so when I worked when I worked in education, I did for 25 years. I'm just doing, you know, private practice now only. But, um, you know, when, you know, we, we were pretty, it was pretty easy to identify, you know, a kid that, you know, was somewhat troubled. Of course, you would never say, all right, that kid's the kid that's going to shoot up the school. But I think the difference now, Brian, today is that everybody has some sort of a, a digital footprint. You know, every shooter, every, you know, incident that we see, um, that person typically ha- has been, you know, putting little, planting little seeds out there or, or just blatantly saying, I'm going to do A, B, C, or D. So I think, in my opinion, you know, you look at social media, that's what my whole book is about, by the way. Um, you look at social media, they have the ability to, you know, quickly just shut somebody down if they don't agree with their opinion and so forth. I think what social media needs to do maybe is be, be accountable for this. If they have read, have alerts, if it's somebody is posting, I'm going to go, you know, shoot the school or kill my grandmother or something, that information should be whoever's sitting behind there. On these social media, you know, companies should be sending alerts, figuring out where this person is, notifying the police, and so forth. That's what I would do if I were, if I had control of this. The name of your book, Disconnected: How to Protect Your Kids from the Harmful Effects of Device Dependencies. So, okay, well, most of these guys, like the Buffalo guy, uh, was telling somebody on his digital footprint. They're still trying to investigate that. And then we have this uh, killer uh, who's holding up uh, clear bags of dead cats. And laughing about in the passenger seats of a car. I'm putting out this video. Everybody that talks about him say how scared they were of him. And now we're going to get more and more that he was uh, there was actually about six interactions with police officers. So and you look at that. You look at Parkland. You look in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. The guy gave two and a half hour psychological analysis with, I, I guess, state police officials in New York. So, you know, it's not like we didn't see any of this coming. But what is your assessment of this in that are we thinking to ourselves there's something we're doing online or in today's lack of nuclear uh, traditional nuclear families that is allowing uh, and coming off the pandemic is having a plethora of mentally damaged kids? But you know what, Brian, that's my book is all about that, by the way. So let me just explain to you. Right. So the average kid nowadays uh, is spending between eight and nine hours a day on, on a completely different planet called cyberspace. All right. So the way the the way the human brain works, wherever we are, our mind is spending the most time, you know, through repetitive messaging and so forth, the mind actualizes that. So now when you look at I call social media, the tailpipe of the mainstream media, um, because everything funnels down to that. There's a camera everywhere. Everything's captured uh, on on a street corner. Everybody's got a camera in their pocket. And what we what our kids are marinating in all day long is violence, bad behavior, muggings and so forth. And that has now become the norm. So therefore, their brains are normalizing this. And when you take a, you know, a sociopath like this you know, recent shooter um, and you add that in, you know, the layer of all of this you know, uh, violence and, and anger and, and so forth, you know, that's just fueling that psychopathic mind to go out and do something that severe. That's how I look at it. Dr. Tom Kirsting, our guest, spent 25 years in the school system uh, in New Jersey, right? Yeah, correct. Yep. Burden so County. so when people want to blame the gun, they want to blame social media, they want to blame uh, parenting. How do we get on top of this right away? Because it seems like every day that we we don't uh, work towards a solution, we see another horrific scene. You know, you mentioned you said something, Brian, a little while ago, the term nuclear family. And that's a missing element in our society right now compared to the way it used to be. Um, even families that do have two parents and you know a couple kids and so forth, you know they're not really functioning like families anymore. 
you know, sitting around the dinner table, having dinner every night with one another. Even, you know, I talk about this as well. Even when you, when you look in, when I'm driving my daughter to school, she's a freshman in high school, I look in the rearview mirror, every kid in the passenger seat is staring, you know, staring at their phone. Absolutely. There's no interaction. There's no interaction between parent and child. So what parents need to do, anybody that's listening right now, um, here's a crazy statistic for you. The average parent spends just three and a half minutes per week in meaningful conversation with their children. That is a, st- a statistic. So wow. what we need to do, first and foremost, is parents have to make time to sit and have deep conversations with their children on a daily basis. That is how you form that connection, that parent-child connection. That's how our kids become confident. That's how our kids become motivated. And that's how our kids become good citizens. I think it's a great. Uh, that's a, that is fantastic. Uh, in the meantime, while we wait for that to happen, while we see a lot of broken families or families about oh, good, they're on the they're on text, they're they're on their phone. I can make a, a call in my car. Uh, in the meantime, how do we stop it? People are in talking about gun legislation now. Are you against, dude? From what you saw, are you against giving teachers the option to be armed? Are you against having two armed officers in every school, big or small? So my father is a retired police officer. My brother is a deputy inspector with NYPD, so I come from a law enforcement family, right? And my experience with a law enforcement family is that they are the greatest of the, the best of the best, my brother and my father. Um, and they're, you know, they are equipped and responsible to handle, handle a weapon. And my dad always says, you know, and he's a big advocate of having armed police officers at schools um, because he said the, 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 the best thing, and we've heard this before, uh, that's going to protect a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And schools that do have... Um, you know, armed officers, those are called soft targets. So somebody that knows that there's going to be an armed officer is less likely to enter one of those schools. And that's just, you know, that's just, that's common sense. So I am, you know, I'm not against it. I, I'm, I'm actually for it um, because I don't see the teachers being the ones, you know, that are, that are going to be carrying out these mass shootings. Anything, whatever's going to protect our kids first and foremost is what I'm all in for. I hear you. So in the big picture, I saw this stat today and I brought it to her. I want to bring it to our interview. Most students are frozen socially and emotionally at the age they were when the pandemic started, according to the New York Times. This is a survey of 362 school counselors. 94% of the counselors said, 94% said, says that the students are showing signs of anxiety and depression that before COVID-19, 88% said students are having more trouble regulating their emotions. Almost three-quarters say the kids are having more difficulty solving conflicts with friends. They, they've had a year off from interacting in many cases, especially if the parents were, went back to work. And then a lot of kids went from, I hate, so, I hate doing the laptop and I hate Zooming to, I, I want the freedom of Zooming and you haven't seen your friends in a while. Did you expect those type of high numbers? You know, I see it at my private practice, Brian. So the anxiety issue has been around for a while. It's been an epidemic really since 2012 when smartphones first came out. But COVID-19 was like the, 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 next, the next layer, the icing on the cake. And, and let me explain why, why kids are, you know, we're seeing more anxiety. So when you take a human being, okay, and they are sort of, you know, imprisoned in their own home, I'll use that term, uh, COVID-19 kids were not allowed to go to school, most of them. The uh, activities were canceled. So they were isolated by themselves in their bedrooms, and their bedrooms became their classrooms. Now, what happens, the way the human brain works, again, is that we develop habits and comfort zones. So if you've been in your bedroom for months or a year, that becomes your safe space now. Your brain now realizes that there's nothing dangerous about that. Now, schools open up, society opens up, and after having been you know, shut down for a year, 
going back out into, quote, the real world, the, the brain doesn't really recognize that. It seems like, like foreign territory. So it sets off the body's natural alarm system, the sympathetic nervous system, which is what triggers anxiety. Um, so it's legitimately that's what that's what the body is preparing itself to defend itself you know, against a threat, even though there is no threat. So the only solution is to continue to put our kids out there, get, you know, as, as yeah. best we can, get them into the school, get them, you know, immersed back into society with activities and so forth. But it is a major problem. Uh, you, how old are your kids? So my son is 19. He just finished his freshman year in college. My daughter's a freshman in high school. Are you worried? Am I worried for them? Yep. You know what? I'm not. All right. Because, uh, and again, you know, I am, you know, I spend a lot of time with them. Um, I try to stay on top of them as much as I can. I tell them I love them as much as I can. I hug them. But I am worried about, you know, the world around them. And what I'm, what I'm trying to explain to my own kids and other kids is that, you know, our kids haven't changed. It's the world around us that has changed. So I try to insulate my kids as best I can from the negative element of the world around us and try to you know, get them to realize that, you know, the world really is a good place. We just have to keep ourselves out of the bad spaces. Yes, it's good to have a psychologist as a dad. Yeah, <laughs> That's certainly a, uh, yeah a psychotherapist, I should say. Dr. Tom yeah, Kirsten, uh, yeah, that, I, I'm, look, my, my kids are now uh, two in college, one out, but I would not be yep. worried. I also know what my town has done. They do have armed car concealed, uh, armed guards. I do know they're doing profiling within the system. They even are seeing six- and eight-year-olds. There's communications with the grammar schools to the high schools to the junior high schools among the local uh, local officials who are working in the schools. And we have so many retired cops in our area. It is just one of, we're fortuitous. It's not an affluent area. There's all different kinds. But yep. they're getting proactive about it. I'm just wondering practically, can others do what Marco Rubio just talked to us about at the top of the hour? They're already profiling kids, not to just to, uh, and, and a threat assessment, not to evaluate their future success. Yeah, no, we need to. You know, like school, schools have all the information. You know, if you have a kid that's, you know, defiant and oppositional and has behavioral issues in the school or emotional issues or has a history of aggression and violence, you know, that those things can show up in second, third grade. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, really transitioning that information, you know, from elementary school to middle school to the high school, you know, just arms people, uh, administrators and school counselors with knowledge and with information and with the ability to, you know, to red flag a kid that, you know, that may fit the profile of someone that would do something horrific. Uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Kirsting, thanks so much. Pick up his book, Disconnected, How to Protect Your Kids from the Harmful Effects of Device Dependency. Thanks, Tom. Hey, thanks, Brian. Have a great one, all right? Take care. You got it. one 408 There's a story now about how the White House is in disarray and how the president's speaking out. And the walk back was barely a walk back. I'll share that along with taking your calls. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. So, I, you know, you watch Joe Biden make all these mistakes and they get 
get walked back by his own people within minutes. First, Vladimir Putin, big example. He's got to go. Okay, within minutes. No, he doesn't mean he's got to go. He's just talking emotionally. Well, wait a second. We're going to have troops. We're going to have troops in Ukraine training the Ukrainians. Uh, no, we're not going to be doing that. We're not have one. You know, the A-2nd Airborne will never be in uh, Ukraine. We don't know what's a mistake and what's real. What's policy that they're changing? Then Joe Biden comes out and says, you know, if Taiwan's attacked, will we, will we defend Taiwan? He says, yes, we've always said that, that we're going to do that. That gets walked back within 30 minutes. And then Biden says, no, no, I st- nothing changed about our policy. We know you've changed the policy. Your words are different than the stated policy that your own administration walked back. Now, I'm frustrated by it. I get a chance to talk about it. But inside the administration, turns out Joe Biden is reportedly frustrated. He says this information inside the Joe Biden White House, this big NBC story, amid a rolling series of calamities and sinking approval ratings, the president's feeling lately that he just can't catch a break and the angst is rippling through his party. Of course, you know, everybody's suffering. It looks like uh, the explorers Biden's frustration and suggests a possible shakeup. Goodbye, Ron Klain. And here's worse, Anita Dunn. She's a nightmare. Uh, they say that she, uh, the he wants his communications to step it up and be more positive. Biden is unhappy about the pattern that has developed. He's made clear and succinct statements only to have aides, ex- uh, raids rush in and explain what he's actually meant to say. He does not like that, it turns out. He says he knows what he was meant to say, but he lived his whole life saying bad things, and then he turned 79 years old, and now he says confusing, mumbling things. So it turns out his administration, they feel, is trying to save him from himself. They have come back and said, we have not corrected any Joe Biden statement that he has not approved of. So who's telling the truth here? And they point out in the story that Newt Gingrich, Newt, uh, Newt Gingrich on Fox News with my show, Fox and Friends, defended the president, saying the White House aides who put out, put out the backtracking statement on Taiwan, he's the president, you're not. Yeah. And where's the first lady? Remember Nancy Reagan all over anybody who would just cross her husband? Where's Jill Biden? She looks totally checked out of this relationship, by the way. Just exasperated, giving him answers, him responding. Uh, compliantly and sheepishly. And, of course, they tell me I can't answer this. They tell me I can't go here. They tell me I can't go to the Ukraine. They tell me I can't do anything. Evidently, over the weekend, he was supposed to walk over to the receiving line and, and talk to some of the people there. But they were yelling stuff at him to do something. He got spooked and just ended up getting into the car and yelled out something uh, to the effect of, yeah, I will do something. Okay, good luck with that. So they were a mess. They seem to be a mess. And now uh, we know for sure uh, that they're a mess. That according to uh, to everybody. So uh, let me try to um, – let's get to a quick word. Steve, real quick, Lakeland, Florida, what's on your mind? Yeah. Yeah, I just want to go ahead and say that there's there's uh, been studies that have been done that have shown that, that uh, teenagers' brains really don't finish development until they're in their 20s. And while I'm a Second Amendment advocate, I really do believe that maybe we should consider not allowing uh, young teenagers to have uh, guns. Maybe the age should be 21 for long guns and and, uh, 25 for pistols. That's what they're talking about today. A bipartisan committee is talking about that. Some states have done it. I think 11, 12 states have put limitations on it. The argument is, hey, at the age of 21 to drink, why can I get a rifle at that age or a 9mm at that age? Well, you can also join the Army at 18 and vote at 18, but they can't drink at 18. So I'm not sure that analogy works. Brian Kilmeade Show. Live 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's very nice of WOKV to open up their studios, our coveted affiliate here in Jacksonville, Florida. But we're, um, I'm able to still broadcast the show here, but the, we're still headquartered at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine, where my next guest just came from, Congressman Brian uh, Fitzpatrick. He's going to be with us in a moment. And Brett Velikovich, who not only served us in Iraq and Afghanistan, went over there and volunteered, was in the fight in, in Ukraine. He's going to bring us insight over there because there's a lot of moving pieces, easy to get caught up in the news cycle and forget about how important uh, that place is to U.S. national security, in my view. So let's get, by the way, the president of the United States today, in an effort to let everybody know the economy is not his fault, it's up to the Fed to handle inflation. He is meeting with the Fed Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. He says, I'm not going to put my hand on the scale. Right. But why are you meeting with them then if you're not putting your hand on the scale? I'm sure you'll just ask him some um, benign questions. Also, he's holding a bilateral with the prime minister of New Zealand, who just happens to hate guns and ban guns from their island. And I'm sure that'll come up again and talk about what a horrific society we are. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. He knows and he's obsessed with the fact that gas prices are so high and people are hurting. You can exhort the oil and gas industry to increase supply. You have to, at the same time, accelerate our movement to clean energy. Oh, she's such a she's such an insult to our intelligence. You don't exhort, you get regulations out of the way and you incentivize the economy. President Biden is desperate to show he's tackling inflation while saying it's not his fault. Supply chain, not his fault. Baby formula gone, not his fault. Lack of employees, not his fault. So why is he continuing to blame everybody else and how long will he get away with that? Number two. Are you gonna send long range rocket systems to Ukraine? We're not going to send to Ukraine rocket systems that can strike into Russia. Yeah, uh, you still don't trust Zelensky. Nice. Day 97 of a war in Ukraine, and once again, Biden puts the brakes on much-needed weapon system. There are some signs that the Russian military is about to break. Other signs that Ukraine's suffering is getting almost too much to take. The EU makes an effort now to get off Russian energy, hit some roadblocks. Turns out a lot of the European nations don't want wind and don't want solar panels. No joke. Number one. I wrote this thing once that said this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem. And that's what it is. It's, yeah. the, there's, there's so many guns. There's more guns than there are people. It's not a, I don't think it's a gun situation. Joe Rogan weighing in on the gun situation. It's the number one topic in America, justifiably. Uvalde and then before that, Buffalo. Well, Uvalde's morning right now. Washington talks gun legislation as an in investigation into last Tuesday's school shooting continues. We know one thing for certain. This killer was showing signs of being a bloodthirsty animal earlier. What legally could have been done to a minor? And how do we stop the next one as soon as they become 18? Let's bring in Brian Fitzpatrick. He was not only he's got an FBI background, he's currently on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, Foreign Affairs and Transportation. Congressman, welcome back. 
Good morning, Brian. Well, I want to get uh, your take on your recent trip to uh, Ukraine, but I got to ask you about this school shooting. First off, on first blush on this investigation, the fact that no one's going into that building in an hour, you're the pro. You don't jump to conclusions. But from what you know right now, this seems to see be a horrific error that even the Texas Rangers are pointing out. It's heartbreaking, Brian. Um, anybody that um, you know has has children that age, it really hits home. Uh, but it should hit home for all of us. And yeah, I mean, there's going to be a full after-action report for for what went wrong here. But clearly, they did not do their job. Um, I think one piece of the puzzle that's going to be discussed, Brian, is uh, what is known in the policing world as the Ferguson effect. Uh, a lot of police officers, quite frankly, are afraid to do their job right now uh, because of fear of being prosecuted or, or sued civilly. Uh, that's obviously no excuse for what happened there. Uh, they should have went in, uh, but there was a chain of command issue. Apparently, the, uh, the on-team commander was holding everybody off. So just a, a, a sad situation all the way around, but they need to figure out what went wrong and fix it for sure. If Bortec, and that's the elite unit coming off the border, is there, right, and they're there in 30 minutes, mm-hmm. And the, yep. the police chief, Pete Ariando, is saying, don't go in yet. We have a, There's no more shots being fired, and we seem to have a, a gunman barricaded in. But you're Bortek. I mean, you, you're highly trained. You have more experience. Do you really, Brian, have to wait for the go-ahead from Pete Ariando? Well, a situation like that functions much like a, a hot zone in a military where you have an on-scene commander, and if you have people usurping their authority and going around them, then you have a, a, a Wild West situation breaking out. The problem is that was the absolute wrong on-scene commander to have, somebody who was not prepared for this, obviously, um, because all the evidence, the, the 911 calls coming in that are going to be released soon, paint a very different picture from what that on-scene commander was ordering uh, to the other officers. Right. Uh, so we'll see, evaluate this, and we'll talk about this. How about this? The whole thing with being a minor, showing violent tendencies, killing cats, holding up in a bag that this this uh, this mutant was doing. Everybody around him thought he was a threat. In fact, he said he was going to shoot up his school in September, but he's 17. So even if you stop at 17, when he turns 18, all that stuff cannot be brought up? Well, uh, that's a function of state law. Um you know, that's another thing that I'm sure is going to be looked at when we get back next week. Um, I, what I think we have to do, Brian, the responsible thing to do after all these tragic incidences is we got to analyze each one individually and figure out where the breakdown was. If there was a, an, a law that was uh, either not in place or uh, misused, then we have to address that legislatively. If it's an issue of a, a school hardening issue, uh, after 9-11, we had to harden our airports in a, in a way that people were, were not very comfortable with. But it's become a custom now, right. uh, I think we've got to start thinking about that with our schools and obviously the mental health piece. There's a lot of different pieces for the puzzle here. Understood. So the president of the United States, uh, you know, we have uh, he's slow to the party, but he's beginning to understand that Ukraine does matter. And by, by the way, they're <clears throat> fighting and how bad the Russians are fighting and horrific um, and like cavemen just arbitrarily just bombing leveling cities that we had to act. But it didn't stop him from stopping again. Cut 29. Rocket systems to Ukraine. We're not going to send to Ukraine rocket systems that can strike into Russia. You were just there. Is that the right move? It's the absolute wrong move, Brian. Um, the first time we were there uh, post invasion, just uh, across the Lviv side of the border, <clears throat> obviously we couldn't go into the hot zone. Uh, then the issue where the MiG 29s, the, pre- the administration pulled back when Poland wanted to give them. 
<clears throat> the, 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 our major takeaway, myself, Dan Crenshaw, Victoria Sparks, who just left there, was um, the, uh, the MLRSs, the, uh, the multiple launch rocket system. Uh, the Ukrainians all said in unison that the problem they have now is their artillery is capped out at about 20 kilometers. The Russians have figured this out. They're backing up to 50 kilometers, and they're just shelling nonstop. The Ukrainians are losing 100 people a day, dying, and in, uh, about 1,000 people getting injured a day in the eastern Donbass region. That is unsustainable. It's starting to hurt the morale of the Ukrainian troops who have, who have had incredible morale uh, throughout this. And I was really crushed just yesterday, as soon as we got back, to hear the president take off the table the one thing that the Ukrainians are asking for. So it's just frustrating for all of us, Brian, and I know you care about this issue tremendously, and thank you for that. The military uh, uh, half measures and, and – I'm sorry, the economic half measures and the military appeasement are very frustrating. We should either be there for them or not be there for them. We should not go halfway on any of these things. So Michael McFaul, who was the ambassador to Russia, now he's with the Hoover Institute, under um, Barack Obama, who said, you know, the Ukrainians are winning. He was all pumped up. Listen to this. Cut 30. I just think it's a losing strategy. Uh, there will only be an end to this war uh, in three different scenarios. One, Putin conquers all of Ukraine. Two, Ukraine pushes Russia out of Ukraine, or three, there's a stalemate on the battlefield. Uh, to me, option two and option three are the ones that we should be supporting. And the way you do that is to give the Ukrainians they need to achieve one of those two outcomes. And he's not the first one to say that on the left. Listen to this. He goes on to say this, which is a very practical solution. Cut 31. They've had a very tortured debate, from what I hear, from senior administration officials in the Biden administration. <clears throat> Uh, I think there's a way to resolve it, by the way. Uh, you just sign an agreement with President Zelensky. He has a lot of authority, has a lot of legitimacy. Uh, sign a formal agreement saying we will not use these weapons in Russia. I think that's a better solution than sitting in Washington and trying to, to <clears throat> modulate and calculate exactly what we want the Ukrainians to do on the battlefield. So that why can't we come up with something that doesn't take a rocket scientist? That's a Democratic, uh, an ally, a trusted ally of Barack Obama, and I imagine Joe Biden coming up with a practical solution. Why not? Zelensky is dependable, if nothing else. Just tell him, no no rockets into Russia, please. Yep, that would be the logical solution. Um, but it's just so frustrating, this, this constant uh, term uh, of, of fear of being provocative or escalatory. Vladimir Putin has already called the first round, the first round of economic sanctions in active war. Uh, Putin does not distinguish between javelins and stingers uh, and MLRS rocket systems. He doesn't. So I don't know why, why Joe Biden is. But it's very frustrating, Brian, because Ukrainians can win this fight. They can. They're not asking for American boots. They're not asking for American technology. All they're asking is that we provide them with this inventory that we already have that's exportable, that are already present in Poland and Croatia and Slovakia, uh, in Bulgaria. They can provide them with this. Um, and it's just very, very frustrating because the tide is starting to turn, Brian. I hate saying this, but at least when we were there, we started to get reports of, of a, a morale problem with the Ukrainians in the east because they were just getting shelled nonstop. They could not reach the Russians with their artillery, and the Russians could reach them. 
they put up such a good fight, and I just hate to see them fail because of such a terrible decision like this. Yeah, Lindsey Graham weighed in, too, says the Biden administration's decision not to send the weapons is a betrayal of Ukraine and democracy itself. Ukraine is not asking for American soldiers just advance weaponry and defend themselves uh, from Putin's invasion. Now, uh, I do see some people saying that the Russians, just by leveling cities with absolutely no skill, are starting to... Uh, uh, demoralize the Ukrainians to a degree. I also see this report in the Daily Mail that Russia's army could collapse amid huge losses of more than 30,000. This is in a UK report, a confidential UK report that emerged on Monday. Moscow's latest estimate troop loss is about 30,000. And now they're finding out that a lot of these guys just they do not want to fight and they're being threatened and almost shooting fights among Russian soldiers about going forward. Have you heard that? Yes. Uh, so both are true. Uh, there, there, is, there has been morale problems on the Russian side. They have their first line of conscripts. They call that the meat line. They're the young, you know, 18-year-old kids who are figuring out real quick that what they were told back in Russia is not actually the situation on the ground. But they're not allowed to turn back because there's a second line behind them that will execute them should they turn back. So they're in a no-win situation. They're plowing forward. Um, and the Ukrainians, as, as valiant as they've been fighting, um, they can only take so much shelling. Uh, Dan Crenshaw and I went to Bucha, uh, the scene of the horrific genocide, the first of many that we're going to see, unfortunately, where there was a, a burial site of 180 or so Ukrainians who were tortured. They were beheaded, uh, fingernails pulled out, all 10 uh, toes and, and fingers broken, right out of the ISIS playbook. And these people, Brian, are just absolute animals. This is genocide happening right before our very eyes. And it's so frustrating when we've heard year after year reading about World War II history, never again, right? That's always been the phrase. Well, never again is happening right before us right now. There is a modern-day Hitler that is engaging in flat-out genocide against a peace-loving nation. And the Ukrainians are fighting our fight. It's not just for them. They're fighting for all of Europe and the United States. And we, we have got to be there for them with everything they're asking for. Yeah, and Congressman, is there anything else you want everybody else to relay about your trip that you only picked up from seeing it and talking to them? Yes, that they their, their asks are modest. We, we passed a, a significant funding bill, but that's, they don't need the money. The money's got to be translated into equipment, the right equipment getting into the right hands at the right times. And that's the issue right now that, that Dan and I are going to be pushing hard uh, with the administration. I know he's going to be speaking with some DOD officials that he knows well this week. Um, I hope to God, that, uh, Brian, that, that President Biden is just saying this publicly and they're doing something different behind the scenes, because if they do not get this long-range missile system, they're going to have a really tough time holding uh, their country. Yeah, the good news is they keep reversing themselves. Hopefully they'll reverse themselves. A casual remark leaving a helicopter just rocks yep. a war zone. Unbelievable. Congressman, and thanks so much. Thing, Brian, go, go ahead real quick. The other, the other, break. The other, yeah, the other thing, Brian, even if he made that decision, why telegraph the punch? Why, does, why is he insistent on telling Vladimir Putin what he's not willing to do? It's terrible. It all plays into the big headline today in that the communication between the administration and their own communication team is falling apart. That's a huge yep. story, uh, and we'll follow it. Uh, thanks so much, Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick. Thank you, sir. Uh, and, of course, you know that he's uh, in Pennsylvania. Well, when we come back, we'll take your calls, one 408 Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The 
fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Expanding background check, perhaps encouraging states to have more, uh, more states to have uh, red flag laws. There are a number of things that can, can occur. For example, one of the things we discovered after Virginia Tech was how little mental health information is being shared by the states to the, the national database. And so we, we need, there's more coordination that's necessary between state and federal officials in order, in order to improve gun safety here in America. Yeah, I mean, I just hope we approach it right now. It's happening. The first Zoom call between and a bipartisan call led by Murphy and, and Senator Cornyn to put some type of national legislation together that might stop the next school shooting without taking away people's gun rights. Can we do that? Number one, can we all agree to harden the target? To say mental health and, uh, you know, the mental health of our kids got to be OK. But we, in the meantime, we got to protect the school. Uh, hopefully most, you know, most schools are coming to an end in September, excuse me, in uh, in June. Protect the schools today. First off, every school's got to be protected, armored up. You know, now when I get out of my car, the fox is good enough to actually walk me to my car when I get out of it. Uh, on the way back on the train, I'm kind of on my own. But if you're around the building, you go to a major corporation, everything's protected. You go to school, you go to colleges, pretty well protected. Can we do the same immediately with everything from preschool to high school? Do that. And I would do that right away. See, the first thing that comes out of our meeting is going to put X amount of dollars. Some amount of those dollars is going to be pandemic dollars going to be converted to security. And these are going to be some of the fundamental standards that are going to be worked out over the next month in a blue ribbon panel that consisting of people like William Bratton to the FBI, uh, to FBI executives and uh, deputy chiefs, everybody around the world, security experts that have done this before, that handle high uh, secret service operators like Dan Bongino and company that know how to handle a situation like this, make a soft target, a hard target, immediately do that. In the meantime, you put together a blue ribbon panel. Politics can't enter to talk about some things that we could do uh, to help it out without taking people's gun rights away. We don't want to be New Zealand. We don't want to be Australia. We don't want to be Venezuela, Cuba, and Canada, especially Canada now. I've seen way too much of their, their government, want no part of it. Uh, no, we'll deal with it here. But keep politics out of it. The minute you start saying we're going to get more and more and more and banning the 9mm and the AR-15, that's a non-starter. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think it's just another iterative uh, event in this thing where I don't believe we're, we're doing really as much as we could from, a, from an advisory capacity with this situation. I think that just kind of flicking end items over to Ukraine, it's helpful, but it's not game changing. I believe that for one thing, we really need to ensure that the integration of these items that we're sending over there are getting in the hands of the people that need it. This Absolutely. is one thing that a lot of the volunteers that I've heard from have said that we, we're sending a lot of gear, but it's not getting where it needs to go. And that's a problem. Is that a problem? Brett Velikovich would know. He's been back and forth. Uh, we know he's a Fox News contributor. Uh, Brett is also uh, a best-selling author and former special operator, intel uh, operations intel analyst. He also knows everything there is to know about drones. Brett, the Scott Mann, who's a former uh, Green Beret himself, or excuse me, Army Ranger himself, does he does he have a point? Yeah, he absolutely does. And I just returned from Ukraine not too long ago, and it's, it's still the same situation over there where 
there is a lot of stuff starting to pour in, which is fantastic. Um, Ukrainians need all the support they can from the donation side. There's a lot of nonprofits and private businesses that are sending over medical aid and food supplies and everything that are reaching um, the front lines. But I still think there is a, a gap between the administration not really um, understanding exactly where some of the stuff they're sending is going. And that's very important. Again, as you move further east through that country, the less and less supplies you see. And there's a major, major gas shortage right now. I drove uh, about a week ago from um, Lviv to Kiev, and literally uh, most gas stations are not open. We had to bring our own diesel. We had to we had to pour our own our su- supplies. Many people are stranded on the side of the road. If you do find a gas station that's open, you're stuck in line for hours. Many gas stations um, are only serving um, the Ukrainian government, so uh, for their their soldiers, which they should be. But it's just um, it's very difficult uh, logistically to move stuff around, and that's one of the things that I've been focusing on with my team in there is um, setting up warehouses all around the country where you can basically hop these supplies that are coming across Poland in a safe and efficient manner, then then pipes it to the front lines. But when you get out to the front lines, I mean, I was I was out there um, just um, south of Mykolaiv, um, very very close um, out there, and you see these soldiers that essentially. Um, they don't have much, and they're going through stuff very, very quickly. And they're sitting there wondering um, where the rest is, where the rest of the community is, and how they can, you know, why they're not getting as much support as they're hearing about is coming um, on TV. How could they get uh, gas in there? Well, one of the ways that they've been doing it is they've been piping across in trucks. Um, I know the the European Union did something really, really great. Finally, um, just within the last 24 hours, by um, cutting off a huge source of financing for the Kremlin's war when it comes to the partial ban on Russian oil, and that should allow them to move uh, more stockpiles inside. But one of the ways that it's done now is it's literally just brought across the border on trucks. I could send you countless videos, though, where these trucks are essentially being stopped um, at the border, and what's even worse, being stopped going out, because there's a lot of concern that people are stealing supplies from Ukraine and taking them out of the country. So the Ukrainian border guards literally have to inspect every single truck to make sure nothing's coming back out. But those trucks are the same ones that are going out to get fuel supplies, and they're slowed down. And, and, and we're talking two, three days these guys are stuck at the border when I can potentially drive across within you know, a few minutes because I'm not in a big 18-wheeler. So one of the things that they can do is start um, moving those trucks across the border faster so they can get more supplies, and then they need to start setting up these pipelines to come back in. There's plenty of gas. They don't have to use Russian oil for this stuff. There's plenty but, of gas that they can push in uh, logistically. It's just more it, – right now this is a war logistics, Brian. It's a war logistics, and uh, the European Union and um, the United States needs to help win that that war and that's why i'm sitting there setting up these logistics networks on the ground to help pipe that pipeline that stuff in faster and the president yesterday making it clear we're not going to send the long-range missiles is devastating i think it's a mistake um but at the same time i can't help but 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 think the ukraine the ukrainians are are tactically um winning um which is a really really good sign i mean look it's it's kind of tough to tell, you know, with all the misinformation out there, but um, they're very strong, they're very innovative. They're doing a lot with, with very little. Um, I don't necessarily think it's the end of the world if they don't provide them with, with these these rockets because the Ukrainians are going to find a way in the end. They're just, just so, uh, you know, their hearts in it, and the Russians' hearts are not, and that alone will, will be the, the, the game changer for the war. So get this, European leaders agree to a partial embargo on Russian oil. But guess what the problem is? Uh, Hungary is one. 
Number two, they say, well, we're landlocked and we need their, we need their oil and gas. Uh, plus, Vladimir Putin's friends with this guy. But number two is they don't want to be reliable on renewals. They don't want to deal with the whole windmills. They don't want to see the windmills. They don't want to see them in the water. They don't want to see them on their land. And they don't want to see the oceans of solar panels because it messes up their landscape. Is this unbelievable? Do you believe this? It's so stupid. It's so idiotic. I mean, the reality is they need to get with it. They need to understand this war is going to change the way the way that a lot of um, countries operate. Uh, and we have yet to see the full effects of the economy, um, really, that we're, I think the world is going to see very soon, especially the Ukrainian economy that is getting absolutely crushed uh, by this war behind the scenes. So they need the European Union to figure out how to look at renewable energy, how to look at alternative ways to um, to bring this in instead of relying on a madman and a, and a dictator who in the end only wants to bring destruction to um, that, that part of the region. So the Washington Post has a story today that Russia is advancing in the eastern Ukraine front lines, giving them, since they have easy supply chains, that's also helping. Uh, and the Ukrainian resistance has made fight a slog for the Russians, but Moscow is inching closer and closer to encircling some major strongholds in the Donbass region. Does that confirm what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, the Donbass has always been one of the major concentrations right now for Russia. I mean, they, they, they bit off more they can chew too early. They try to take the capital and all these massive areas, and now they're concentrating their forces, and they've, they've concentrated all of their technology and a lot of their, their stuff on, on this area. So I know that they've been establishing positions in, you know, uh, some, major, some major key areas, some major industrial areas. Uh, within the Donbass that Ukraine typically had, and that uh, the whole idea is to kind of squeeze their their right. economy. So it's it's definitely a major issue. Uh, Brett Velkovich, just over there in Ukraine, uh, a couple of visits now is back to give us the inside story. Russia's army, this is the Daily Mail story, Russia's army could collapse. They're like shooting each other. These uh, commanders are not getting their soldiers to respond. We also know these two officers who are well-known inside Russia were caught on intercepts, just trashing Vladimir Putin and everybody around him as incompetent and everything else is an expletive. Now that's out, they'll probably be killed or jailed for life. But uh, what could you tell us is this situation. We know 30,000 dead and we want uh, Vladimir Putin to have blood cancer and the, and the army to collapse tomorrow. But what's the reality? The reality is they have a large pool of people to pull from, a lot of conscripts. And not just within Russia, they're pulling from Syria, they're pulling from uh, Belarus, they're pulling from uh, a, a lot of different places around the world and paying these guys to go essentially be proxy fighters for this war. And, and the truth is they can continue to send those people in to die. And right now, Russia is not pulling their, you know, best of the best elite people from Moscow. They're taking these guys from these regions that um, honestly aren't, um, aren't the smartest on what is going on politically with the war and what they're, what they're doing. And, they're, and, and, and Putin is sending these, these kids to die. And they're getting into Ukraine and they're, they're committing these war crimes. They're not realizing um, the truth about um, what's going on on the ground. And uh, he can continue to do that, unfortunately, I think, for, for quite some time and really sustain this uh, over the long term if he wanted to with just the sheer number of uh, of, of conscripts of, uh, that they're bringing on board. And so um, that's the truth. The good news is, though, that um, I am seeing, um, you know, a lot of uh, situations where we're starting to see reconstruction take place. You know, when I when I drive through a lot of these cities, it looks like uh, tornadoes have just rummaged through them. I mean, you've got gas stations, buildings just completely destroyed. And very rarely do I see anyone cleaning it up because most of the, the stuff they have to clean up are on the front lines, helping somehow 
fight, you know, fight the war. Now I'm seeing that reconstruction happen. When I was leaving Kiev the last time, where typically just tanks are everywhere, blown up, and gas stations just ripped apart, you're seeing now this cleanup effort, and that to me gives me hope uh, because I haven't seen that since the beginning of the war. No, that does. That, that, that sounds great. And lastly, uh, Turkey's using some of their leverage to try to open up the Black Sea. They want that wheat out. They want the Black Sea unblockaded. They do have leverage. Uh, they do have leverage with Russia, right? Erdogan's still speaking to them. So they, they're the one country that could actually get through to Russia and say, hey, listen, if you don't open it up, you're going to lose me as any sort of ally, Correct. Yeah, Turkey does have a lot of influence. They, they, they're in a good position. One of the things, though, that's been relatively dangerous to them, go, going back to the drone side of things, is they've been providing Turkish-made drones to kill Russian troops. They've been providing them to the Ukrainians. So there's there's a little bit of, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure, some animosity behind the scenes there with t- Turkish technology being used to, to go after Russians. But at the same time, they, they do have such a strong influence in there and that wheat trade is really really a big deal i mean that that needs to get solved that that problem because it, it's going to affect not only ukrainian jobs which are really in the end going to be the thing that that brings that country back is getting people back to their cities and, and finding them jobs but also um for the wheat production around the world that will start affecting you know americans at, at home brad velkovich thanks so much appreciate it thanks ron you can follow him at The Drone Warrior, uh, Fox News contributor. And when we come back, I'll be able to finish up with some calls at one 408 You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. He knows and he's obsessed with the fact that gas prices are so high and people are hurting. And this is a global issue. So what can he do? So you can exhort the oil and gas industry to increase supply. You have to, at the same time, accelerate our movement to clean energy. The fact that we are paying these outrageous prices almost is an is an exclamation point on the fact that we need to move to clean energy so that we are not in this position in the future. Uh, the problem is everybody knows you're against fossil fuels. So when fossil fuels is all we have to to fuel our trucks, our trains, and our cars, and it goes up, it almost doubles since you took office and your policies are on the record to be anti-fossil fuels and you berate them and you discourage investment in any of them. And then you turn around and say, drill more on those leases, we're going to fine you. And they say, well, who's going to finance the leases? We don't know if there's oil underneath there and by the time the regulations uh, get um, I guess tackled and confronted and ameliorated the the window's been gone it'll be two years you have to get rid of these regulations you have to expedite the entire process you have to incentivize oil and gas to drill because you spend two years vilifying them and to say you have nothing to do with that and oh by the way while we're on this let's go renewables renewables aren't ready electric cars aren't ready the chips aren't there the cars aren't there the infrastructure is not there and by the way one of the other things you did environmental infrastructure you're doubling down on the amount of regulations to build Build the infrastructure that that was a bipartisan bill that you herald and trumpet as your greatest accomplishment. But you put more regulations in their way so they're not getting the tunnels and the roads and the airports built the way they could because of the horny toad 
or uh, or some type of uh, plant that might go into extinction. So that is Jennifer Granholm just saying what she really believes. And now the president of the United States evidently writes a Wall Street Journal op-ed, his plan for fighting inflation, to support the Fed as they double interest rates. Fantastic. And the Fed's really responsible. I have no responsibility for that. But I'll meet with them today. I'm sure the economy won't even come up. I just want to give them a free meal. That's the only thing that we could have. I just think it's hysterical that Europe's leading the way on green energy and the Paris Accords. But the people of, of Europe, whether it's Germany, it's Hungary, it's Poland, it's Slovakia, they want nothing to do with these windmills that find to be eyesores. And these fields of solar panels are ruining, ruining, the, ruining the countryside and landscapes. So they're going to stick with oil and gas. Can you get off Russian oil and gas? That's all we can ask. So you don't have the infrastructure there, but you want us to go through the transformation. That, to me, is inexcusable. Now, to the other story at hand, the harrowing tales that these 8- and 10-year-olds had to go through as they tried to fight for their lives and watch, in two cases, their teachers killed and um, and 19 of their classmates and, and also double figures into the hospital. Listen to this one boy's recounting what he saw. She ran to the door quickly. She got her key. She broke the key in and then she was running because she got shot and then she just like dropped on the floor and then she was like playing dead where she's like staring at like people through a little window and what was he doing he was just like standing there with his gun like tapping on like the window unbelievable you think that kid's gonna have nightmares and how about the kids when the cops didn't never came uh, let's go to KT. KT is listening in Georgia. KT. Hey, Brian, what's going on? Where, where, do you, where do we go with this debate? What do you think happens from these bipartisan talks? I don't think anything is going to happen. It never does. This is one of those situations where the Republicans need to just hold a line. Um, I don't think anybody's really interested because what's easy to do is to secure the schools. I know you already talked about this earlier. We got to secure the schools. They need to be at least as safe as every bank and as safe as, as safe as the as the Capitol building, where these morons work. We have but, to but, do that first. But if, but if I was to give you, if you owned a gun store, you would not want to sell to these 18-year-olds with clean records who you know are deranged uh, killers, the Buffalo Killer, and then we have Uvalde, right? So how do we, how do we stop these next 18-year-old assassins? How do you stop them? It starts with the family. I committed my brother-in-law three times because he was mentally ill. And when he got to the point where he stopped taking his medicine, he was having problems, we sent him to the institution. They, they got him well, they got him his medicine, he came back. If the families aren't doing that, there's not a lot we can do. And while God, you're screwing yeah. around, doing studies, trying to figure out who these people are, the schools are unprotected. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think we can all agree that we have to spirit. We got to speed money to these schools if they need it. There's a lot of money given to them anyway. And to order to set up a standard and doesn't have to be transparent, a standard security that's demanded from the biggest and smallest school and the, and the most rich or academically challenged or uh, or uh, economically challenged ones out there. Eric, listen on WDBO. Eric. Hey, Brian, your last guest. Um, they hit on some great points. Um, every one of these shootings is in a gun-free zone. Even the churches, the people are arming themselves now. Um, but the pro- and, and they're all in 
gun-free zones, a bill that Biden brags about writing. Um, and they're all on the FBI watch list. So unless you got a MAGA hat, the FBI is not really watching you. But as far as the mental health discussions, especially with kids, you can't talk about little Johnny's mental issue without changing HIPAA laws. Because if you talk about somebody's health or even their flu, you've committed a, a HIPAA violation. So things really need to change. Especially with minors. I mean, that's a, that's a tough area to go to. But bottom line is that that gun store owner feels terrible. But when that 18-year-old showed up, it didn't show that he just spoke to state cops six months prior about how he wanted to shoot up a school and shoot himself. But when he turns 18, clean record. Could I have a gun, please? Thanks. I'm going to need a lot of ammo. Okay, fine. No one's checked out his, his social media footprint. No one checked out who he's been talking to. And then you have a privacy issue, as you mentioned. So, excuse me, are you looking at my son's account? How dare you look at my son's account? You have no right to look at the social media. Well, he's saying some things that are a little aggressive. Well, kids are like that. Boys are like that. So there'll be a pushback on parents and privacy for sure. So something's got to give. But the minute I hear Joe Biden come out and say, I'm going to take away your 9 millimeter," and nobody needs an AR-15 because none of these deer wear Kevlar vests, he's poisoning the well. He's just playing into all the fears that gun owners have that it's going to be incrementalism. We're going to gradually take all your guns away. Like they're doing in Canada, they did New Zealand and Australia, and of course Venezuela and Cuba. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com or the podcast and listen anytime, anywhere. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.